and we are starting the third season with a little chit chat. How are you doing, Fox? I'm good. I'm here to chit and chat. <laughs> this is the beginning of season three. Fox is too busy now to edit the podcast. So I have decided to use something called Alitu. Alitu. And it has made it pretty easy to edit. It may not be the same quality as when Fox was editing it, but it's not horrible. So I'm looking forward to this season. In fact, today I'll be sharing the interview that I did with Keith Williams, who is running for Birmingham City Council District 6. And I first heard about him when I was researching Sam last year, who, who ran for uh, City Council in Tuscaloosa. That's right. And I saw Keith then and kind of kept up with what he was doing on social media. And the election actually is the day after this podcast first airs, August the 24th. So Keith will share with you what he wants to do if he were to be elected. We'll talk about his campaign, all that kind of stuff. It's a really interesting interview. I don't do a lot of interviews with, quote, politicians, but sometimes I like to talk to people who are running kind of grassroots campaigns because I think it's very interesting on a human level, you know? Absolutely. So this summer, I took the whole summer off of social media. I actually took four months off of social media, and it was really nice. I, it changed the way my brain worked. Certainly. I felt like my, the landscape of my brain kind of flattened out more like a prairie. <laughs> it's, hmm. No, I'm serious. Like I could see further. I could sit longer. I could read more. I read a lot of books and, you know, I just, I went up to Morgan County to Decatur one week and stayed up there and did research on Ryan's school. I want to write a book about it. It's the school I grew up in. Mm -hmm. But I did a lot of things like that where it feels a little, like time slowed down a little bit for me. Yeah. And I didn't miss social media. I mean, I'm with you. I quit Twitter for good a couple months back. So I've definitely felt the rewiring. And yeah, um, the rat's nest is no longer for me. Rewiring is an interesting term for it. Why did you choose that word? Uh, I mean, quite frankly, I've heard it from other sources. I've heard people compare the structures of some of these social medias, Twitter I've heard about most specifically of comparing them to uh, some of the addictive mechanisms that have gone into uh, psychological addiction like gambling and so on have been adapted for this. Um, and yeah, it's just a combination of that and people's studies on attention span and how different mediums invite us to have different attention spans and Twitter has tried to minimize that for several, several reasons. So yeah, it's, it's a very different experience. In the rewiring that has happened for you and the space that that sort of opened up for you, what kinds of differences in your behavior or your choices do you notice? If at all. It's interesting. There's I, I am paying slightly less attention to national politics, only slightly. Um, I'm finding it easier to mourn and less common to panic, if that makes any sense. I'm not saying things are better. Things are pretty bad, even as they continue past this past national election. But there's nothing I can do about it from the stance I'm in at the age I'm in and the position I'm in. So it doesn't need to be a constant anxiety and panic. I like that realization that you don't have to be in a constant panic about the world, right. even though it's on fire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you look at what's happening in Afghanistan, you look at what's happening with COVID, you look at what's happening with our friends and neighbors and, you know, people at each other's throats. Mm -hmm. So, but I think you're right though. Right. I don't think it's sticking your head in the sand not to be focused on it 24 hours a day. Right. So we have talked a little bit about social media. Did you find any entertainment in the, in the space of Twitter that took, took that space up for you in terms, not just, I know we talked about news and the world affairs, but what about like entertainment? Uh, it's led to me disconnecting slightly from the YouTube space. Um, although, frankly, a lot of that circle of creators, I think they've 
taking that same step back uh, between the pandemic and personal issues and all that. Do you think there may be a general trend outside of just the two of us of people sort of stepping away or shifting in their social media approaches? I think there could be general trends and those trends would have to be applied to populations I do not know the shape of. Yeah. Well, one of the things that has been entertaining me that we, you and I are both watching is General Hospital. Yes. It is a very, very guilty pleasure. Yeah. I've been watching General Hospital since I was a little kid. I had two older sisters who were really into it around the time Luke and Laura were really big. Mm-hmm. So I loved Anna Devane. Anna Devane. The yes. spy mm-hmm. played by Fanola Hughes. And she's still on the show. So I love watching what happens with her. Mm-hmm. She has an evil twin, Alex. Yeah. But Frankly, the show is so bad, it's good. I mean, it's just, it's so much fun to watch. There's, can I talk about that storyline with the baby for a second? Please do. (laughs) Okay, so there's a storyline that happened this summer that has been... The stolen baby. No, it's not stolen. It's not stolen. But it's given me endless contemplation and fascination since it happened. Um, There's a blonde girl, Maxie. She was pregnant uh, with her third child. Yes. And she was getting ready to marry the father of the baby, whose name was Peter? Peter. Peter. and Evil Peter. Well, that's the thing. Everything was going fine, and his actor was inoffensive, and it was sweet, whatever. And then the wedding happens, and oh no, Anna Devane reveals something, and now Peter's flipped a switch. And now he's not Peter, comma, the inoffensive guy. He's Peter, comma, the rat bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Which his actor cannot play, but that's beside the point. (laughs) Um... So we end up with this long stretch of Maxie just panicking and stressing of what am I going to do? He's going to be in my life forever. He's going to torture me. He's going to hurt the baby. I've got to get the baby away from him. So she's got to get the baby away. Meanwhile, on the other side. On the other side of town. There's a girl named Brooklyn who is pretending to be pregnant and specifically doing so because the man that she's had a relationship with (laughs) has a business connection. He's like, okay, I'm going to take care of you. You've got a stake in the company now. We're going to take care of the baby. We're going to take care of the baby. But, but she's oh no, faking her she's pregnancy. faking, and she's like, "Oh no, I'm gonna need a baby in a few months." <laughs> so we waited three weeks for these ships to pass in the night. A woman needing to hide her baby, and a woman needing to borrow a baby, and just. And long story short, <laughs> long story short, Brooklyn's taking care of the baby now. Everyone assumes it's her baby, and Maxie. Well, there's other things going on, but Maxie, for the most part, is just kind of staying out of the way. Welcome to General Hospital. And it's just been amazing to me how they managed to execute that, how we were in suspense waiting for them to execute it, how much time they gave to developing the nuance of these two women sharing a common cause to protect this baby, and how much sympathy it's given, given that in other political situations, which I won't get into except that if these were not two white women on a soap opera, they right. would not get the same they sympathy. <laughs> I told a friend about this, and they were, and she was like, well, they both sound like monsters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, aside from these guilty pleasures, I have been reading a lot, and I found a historian that I really like, an American historian, Alan Taylor, who has written quite a few books mm-hmm. about the Reconstruction era, about uh, the colonization of America, and I've really been reading those a lot. I'm reading Beloved right now mm-hmm. from Toni Morrison, which I have tried to read this is the third time in my life that i've tried to read it it happens it was really difficult for me to read at the other points in my life i'm not really sure why now but i remember thinking i couldn't get past like page 50 for some reason and it wasn't the sadness or the heaviness of the material it was the actual way it was written somehow i just couldn't get my brain around it but now i don't remember why because it's so good and Mm -hmm. i can't put it down I also got this book that was recommended by a woman that I really respect on it's on time management, but it's, it's written from the perspective, sort of a philosophical theological perspective, uh, sort of an anti productivity, anti-capitalist perspective. That sounds a little too harsh, but it gets deeper into time management about what it means and how much, how limited our time actually is. Sure. So I'm really enjoying that. So I have been reading a lot, but I do like my guilty pleasures, oh, including course. charmed, <laughs> Melrose Place, Desperate Housewives. I can't get enough of these things. I've always loved a soap opera. In fact, after I finish this podcast, I want to go for at least five years. Mm-hmm. I think I should, in the meantime, I should be working on a serial, like a soap opera podcast. Yeah. I should write my own. Mm-hmm. And it should be set in the community college system. <laughs> I mean, that's interesting. I mean, 
I mean, we if if I may just take the soapbox for half take a second. Take the soapbox. I'm giving you the soapbox. Thank you. You can't see you. me, but I'm tossing the soapbox to Fox. It's pretty clear my solo ventures in podcasting are on hold for a minute. Just for a minute. Just for a minute. You are so talented and gifted at that. I mean, honestly, my career, the thing I'm actually paid money to do, put a lot more labor on me. Just recently, I'm going to start teaching this semester, so... I just don't have time for it right now, but I keep coming up with ideas and I keep putting them on a list and I thought of ways to kind of weave them into like having a season of, uh, of themes of still kind of having vignette essayist, like let's, or let's analyze this thing. But given that a lot of them are in similar nerd comic book TV spaces, just trying to weave in some themes and maybe have like, the narrator go through a journey of sorts that one could follow as they went through the podcast. That's not unheard of. And yeah, yeah, no, I I'm, I'm in a similar place as you. Like there's, there's an episodicness that we like. Right. (laughs) Well, this season, everyone, as we wrap up this opening section, I will be interviewing again, people who have done interesting things in their communities. Uh, There'll be about 20 episodes. It'll run through every two weeks through around, I guess, late April, early May. And again, we'll start off this season with Keith Williams, who is running for District 6 of the Birmingham City Council here in Alabama. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy the interview. Enjoy. Thanks, Fox, for being a part of the opening. Thank you. So I'm really glad to have you on. I think I first heard about you last year I interviewed sam badger down in tuscaloosa and i think somehow through his social media i i i I ran across you and saw that you were uh, involved politically and i was really curious to ask you what it is that motivates you to run for city council so when we talk about district six uh district six is a very unique district you have a lot of uh, elderly people that live here, uh, mostly over the age, uh, most of, I guess the average age is 57. And some of these folks I, you know, grew up with because, uh, for example, my family been in the Titusville area for, uh, 40 years, practically my whole life, you know, that I've been situated in, you know, in one place. And so, you know, people kind of know who we are. And so based on, you know, growing up, you know, in Titusville, I saw the changes, you know, that took place. And unfortunately, those changes are not for, you know, the good. You have a lot of dilapidation that's going on here. You have a lot of blight you know, that's going on here. Uh, You have crumbling infrastructure and none of that has changed. Well, how do you know that? In 2019, I have done a virtual tour of every neighborhood in District 6. Every single neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So you you basically, I basically did a drive through one neighborhood per day until all the neighborhoods, you know, was covered. And so I saw, what I saw was a lot of blight, a lot of dilapidation. You had a a lot of dumping sites. Infrastructure was poor. There's hardly any businesses in the district uh, that people, you know, can really go to. Uh, Not many fine restaurants that people can sit, you know, and eat at. Uh, Public transportation is absolutely terrible. So these are some of the things that I saw, you know, and as any other citizen, we called the mayor, we called the city council, uh, we called 311, you know, we give reports of what's going on. Recently, I done a walkthrough of the neighborhoods in District 6 again uh, to see if anything has changed. We kind of find out that nothing has changed. Mm. So that means that everything that, so all the video that I took two years ago of stuff that was going on has not been fixed to this day. I had it up to here. Mm-hmm. You got people that are calling and say, hey, you know, y'all need to do something about X, Y, and Z. 
and, you know, and is not being done. I am sick and tired uh, of of our council people. Just, just you know, they're not they're not advocating for the people. They're out of touch with the people in these neighborhoods, and you know, they they spot, you know, they spot check whatever neighborhood that they feel like you know going to. Just basically, uh, you know, give us crumb. I demand a ten course meal. Right. That's why I'm running. This has been happening for over 30 years. There's so much that could have happened here. But over that 30 plus year period, you know, whoever was representing us in District 6, they have not been aggressively, you know, trying to address these issues that I, I, I just mentioned. In fact, in 2017, uh, in North Tibbsville, Walmart wanted to build a super center. Uh, off of Sixth Avenue, you know where the old Trinity site is. Mm-hmm. So Walmart wanted to build a super center over there. The city did not have to give them, you know, any center. They was going to flip the entire bill. They was going to clean up the site because it was a brownfield. It's a brownfield. You know, build the materials. They was going to pay the taxes. They was going to purchase the land, and they was going to give the Tittiesville community one million dollars to do whatever they want. Well, the council, the city council at that time and the county commissioner, they voted it down. You know, and I'm like, what the hell did y'all do that for? That could have revolutionized the area because, well, lack of a better word, District 6 is in a food desert. In, in the whole district, we we got two grocery stores. That That's it. We got a Piggly Wiggly, you know, over there by Oakwood Place. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Oakwood Place meets Arlington West End. And then you have a save a lot, which is in uh, Woodland Park in the Heritage Shopping Center off of Denison Avenue. And I can tell you that uh, the quality of food there is not great at all. Well, Keith, what was their reasoning for not wanting that? Well, according to the article, it says they're bringing a Walmart there you know, we are dumbing down on Tittiesville. Meanwhile, you got people that they are hurting. You even got people that says uh, that they're afraid that, for example, the city is going to take their property because they're getting ready to do a co-enforcement blitz throughout the city of Birmingham. And you have a lot of people who are on fixed income. They're disabled. They're elderly. They, they don't have the money to keep their, to keep their homes up to code. And according to this code, if they find anything that's not up to code, they will find you $500 a day until you bring your house up to code. And as I said earlier, a lot of people cannot, you know, afford to do that. We we had storms, you know, that came through, you know, recently in the last two months to where people, you know, are experiencing storm damage and they can't get any help on any level. You know, local or you know, local to federal. They say they can't get any, you know, you know, help. But yeah, I, I truly believe that the city is doing its own purpose so they can come in and take these homes, you know, and push people out. I will fight with every fiber in, you know, in my body until I am dead, you know, to make sure that the people who are in these, you know, neighborhoods, whether it's district one or district nine to district nine, would not be placed out of their homes. Now we need to try to find, you know, program, you know, to actually help these people because in the last two years, fiscal year budget, the city actually took away, you know, money to actually help uh, like the critical repair grants, mm-hmm. uh, 100 homes in 100 days, you know, all this stuff, the, the money has been taken away. And so right now there's really nothing you know, left, you know, right now, there's a program that the city is offering, you know, to help pay uh, rent and utilities and things of that nature, you know, but as far as homeowners, there seems to be no help from homeowners, you know, and all that my counselor person could say is that I'm, I'm sorry. And this is why I am so frustrated. Oh, absolutely. When you talk to people when you're out, and I know you are because I've looked all over your Facebook, I've researched to make sure I have some kind of knowledge of what you're doing. 
What are people saying to you in addition to these fears about housing and things like that? What do you hear from actual people who live in these communities in North Titusville, South Titusville, wherever? Do you represent uh, South Titusville too? Yes. Um, All the communities are, what are all the communities in your district? Um, So you got North Titusville, South Titusville, Woodland Park, Mason City, Arlington West End. West End Manor, you got Pars of Oakwood Place, Southside, mm-hmm. Lynn Iris, Five Point South, Goodness. Graymont, Smithfield. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, and I cannot forget about Powderly. Yeah, that, that's quite a quite a range there. What kind of things do you hear from from real people on the ground? So some some of the problems are that that people are, you know, letting me know about. Of course, it's crime. Crime, you know, is the number one thing um, in your most Western neighborhoods of District 6, like Powderling, you know, Arlington West End, you know, that's where crime is, you know, the heaviest. Mm. Uh, Violent crime in particular. So that's one of the things that people are talking about. People saying that I don't feel safe walking down the street or I can even sit on my porch you know, without something going on. Another thing that they are, are tired of is, you know, all of the blights. Now, the cities keep saying that, you know, it's the people's fault. But you have a lot of properties that are owned by the city. They're not keeping the cut. You know, they have right-of-ways, you know, that the city is supposed to maintain. Uh, the, the various parks and recreational centers throughout the city. They're, they're not maintaining them so how are you going to tell me uh you know make sure your grass is cut and the city's not even maintaining their own property another thing is is that uh why don't we have any fine restaurants here or or a major grocery store why don't we have you know that here uh if you've been on some of my tours uh the one for 2019 and the one in 2021 you probably notice that there is a lot of vacant land. A lot of it. You know, and I'm not talking about one. I'm talking about acres mm-hmm. uh, of land. As I see that, then the, the light comes on at the top of my head, you know, and I get to dreaming. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. Like, for example, uh, in North Titusville, over by Golden Flake, you got 15 acres of land. Crazy. You can put a sport. You can put a sports complex there. Mm-hmm. You can put a major shopping center there. Uh, if Walmart wants to come back, in which I would definitely, you know, try to get them to come back, you know, even we have to give them an incentive, you know, they can go there. And then uh, if you're familiar with, uh, you know, going northward from Titusville, you cross the railroad tracks, you have your, a street, it's called Center Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, Center, yeah, Center Street, which you basically have two neighborhoods that divide that street on the it going north, a Smithfield. Mm-hmm. You know, on, on the Smithfield side, you have a lot of vacant land. Used to be a lot of apartments there. All that was torn down. Uh, that could be turned into a park. Uh, you have it fenced up. Up so it, it won't you go over there. And what happens is you can have major events over there, and you can have, and there's enough land for people to park and have food trucks. So for those of you who have a food truck and some, some events going on in that area, you can, you know, park your truck and make you some cash. And then across the street over the Arlington West End side, there's been an instance to where you got kids that you know, you, our youth, they're, they're into skating, roller skating. And a lot of times the city would, you know, shut down whatever they're at. And I'm saying, why don't you uh, finish tearing down that apartment complex over there, have it fenced up, and you create a roller skate park. That, that would bring a lot of car traffic, and that would bring a lot of foot traffic. Those, those are just two instances you know, of land that you got. And then if you keep going, you know, northward on Center Street, like before you get to Third Avenue, besides the old Ellington School building, 
You got a large amount of land over there. Let's turn that into a farmer's market to where we can to where we can grow, you know, our own fruits and vegetables. We can invite uh, farmers from all over the greater Birmingham area. They can set up shop and, and do what they can, you know, do, you know, you know what they do. Uh, they can either give it away or they can, you know, ask for donations, however they want to do it. And because that area is in a flood zone, we can actually channel that water and create an irrigation system there. So you got your water there, you know, to water the pro, you know, the crops, you know, over there. So we don't have to worry about that. And it would cut down on costs. You got plenty of parking, you know, that you can do. And as a matter of fact, I think I read this article in it was in Boston to where you know, they landscape a piece of property and made it into a parking lot. It, it, it was very unique the way they, you know, have done that. It was a way to beautify the area and people still had a place to park. So I thought that I would bring something like that, you know, to the farmer's market. You have like three or four, you know, ways that people can, you know, drive into the area. Uh, you know, we can do food giveaways. You know, there we can do food boxes over there. Uh, anything food-wise that we'd be able to do on that property. Not only can we feed the entire district, we probably can feed a lot of people in the city of Birmingham. So those are just some of the examples of, you know, of land that we have in District 6 and what can be, you know, done with. Because I can find the partners. I list the partners that are willing to invest in district sets is growing. So if you go to Memorial Park, you'll probably notice a big sign, you know, that there and it's kind of lists some of the partners that we have. Well, that that is the beginning. As I continue to, you know, form relationships with nonprofit organizations, we're, we're going to see that list, you know, growing. And so these resources, you know, and manpower can be available to every neighborhood and district sets, you know, to the point that we're able to uh, address blight and dilapidation, clean up our streets of trash, get our infrastructure back up to par, and bring in the, the type of businesses, you know, that people can go to, to shop, to eat, and to entertain. In other words, District 6 needs to get out of the 20th century. <laughs> Join the 21st century. Well, you so have, you have a positive, proactive vision of what the district could look like. What does your what does Crystal Smitherman's vision look like? Do you think, and the City Council at large of District Six? What do they have a vision for that? No, um, not, none of my opponents can match my vision. Uh, the incumbent and the other challenger. Mm-hmm. No, neither one of them can match my vision. I am not thinking small. I'm thinking big and I'm thinking outside of the box. Because what's happening here is that you you got, as far as my other opponents is concerned, you know, so someone is pulling their strings. And, and so, you know, so when that happens, it, it makes it appear that whoever is pulling their string you know, will will actually be the one in charge, you know, and that's what people are saying. So, for example, uh, let's take the incumbent, for example. You have a senator for a dad. You have a judge for a mother. Both of them have been heavily influenced, you know, her and how to run things in district sense. On the other, you know, on the other flip side of that, the other opponent, you know, is friends with the current, uh, Jefferson County Commissioner for my district, which is District 2, she was counselor before. And so if he's like, you're basically going to, you know, have, you know, the same type of ordeal. And that's what I mean about when I talk about recycle politicians, it may be a different person, you know, but they still have, but they're still being influenced, you know, by someone of old. I have nobody, I am not in anybody's back pocket, which means I'm an independent thinker. I can stand on my own if I need to. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm going to have people that I'm going to consult. 
So that's that's not what I'm talking about. Right. What I'm talking about is is that you know when you have politicians of that caliber who has uh, you know a track record you know of neglecting people. That's that's what I'm talking about. Right. We cannot have that. You know, again, it's it's time for an independent thinker. You know, it's time for someone, when necessary, be able to stand on their own two feet. You know, and it's time to get rid of all of that political, you know, influence that is going to stagnate this district. Yeah, there does seem to be a lot of stagnation. Just looking at your videos from two years ago versus today or thinking over the, you know, I'm not a resident of that area. I live in District 7, but, you know, I've been in Birmingham a lot of my life and uh, I haven't seen a lot of growth in that in that area. A, a stagnation in a lot of areas around around Birmingham, outside of downtown, I would argue. Uh, yes, you, you you're absolutely right. And as far as the operational budget is concerned, you know, we found out that resources had been, you know, transferred out of our communities, you know, into downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, as a result of uh, you had over 400 furloughs. Our parks and recreation centers and libraries, you know, was basically shut down. And now you have limited operations. They're still understaffed. Even public works is understaffed. I, I talked to someone who works in public works, you know, early uh, last week. You know, and he was telling me how short, shorthanded they are. And they're being overworked and they cannot do everything. Because what Mayor Whiffin doing now is that they are overworking whoever they got left, you know, to do all of this stuff, like cutting lots and doing and things of that nature, you know, to give their people the illusion that I am doing something. You know, when really the question is what happened in the past three years? You know, now all of a sudden you got a mayor and city council that decided they're gonna bombard you know, all of this work in the election year, mm. and we have not heard from them, you know, three years prior to then. Yep. It is a blind illusion, a blind reality, a reality that appears to be true, but really is not. That's what a blind reality is. So one of the things I think is so disappointing about the fact that of all this stagnation is I was watching your video on, I think you were in North Titusville and you were walking around and I learned so much about Titusville history. I did not know this rich history in Titusville, not to the degree that you told it. I wonder if you would just share a little bit of that about, I can't remember which video it was, but you know, the history of Titusville. Could you share a little bit of that history? Cause it's amazing. So uh, after the Civil War, when, uh, you know, African Americans became free, uh, as far as the South is concerned, uh, the area that we call Titusville today was the first area that was occupied by free Black people. Uh, they became land, landowners, they became business owners, and just about everything that you can imagine was was on the 6th Avenue corridor, which at that time was called Avenue F, uh, when that area was annexed to Birmingham. So you didn't have the 6th Avenue South and uh, the Kappa Avenues. Uh, You didn't have any of that. It was Avenue E, Avenue F, and things of that nature. So when the Citizen Participation Plan was first enacted in 1974, they actually had Uh, individuals who went to college that was part of the transformation of of the community. That's how you got streets like Kappa, Iota, Omega, uh, because a lot of these individuals that helped uh, reshape this area, they not only went to college, but they was also a part of of a fraternity or sorority. Right. And so that's how uh, the streets was named. And there's been some parts to where um, the streets was made of dirt. There was dirt roads here. Uh, the area was uh, now called the Villas of Titusville. You know, that area mm-hmm. used to be an airstrip. Uh, Love this village was built in 1951. And during the 50s and 60s, uh, many people said that that was where uh, you could raise a family. 
you know, and then you had the crack epidemic. Uh, you had the war on drugs is pretty much destroyed uh, that area. You had a lot of prominent, uh, highly recognizable people that came from this area. For example, you have former mayor, the late Larry Langford, mm-hmm. uh, former mayor William Bell, uh, who is running again, uh, Condoleezza Rice, you right. know, her father pastor in Titusville. Yep. You had um, you had an architect who lives, he lives in Maryland, but you had an architect, he the one designed 16th Street Baptist Church. Oh wow. He's from and so you had a lot of doctors and lawyers, you know, and even Carol Smitherman, the judge, came from Tittlesville. Yeah. So you had all these professional people, you know, that was here that lived in Tid- North Tittlesville at the time. But then when they built the um, nicer homes in South Tittlesville, you know, all of the well-to-do people, they left North Tittlesville and moved to South Tittlesville and left North Tittlesville basically to die because there was a lot of shotgun houses here mm-hmm. uh, when birmingham was a prominent steel booming city you had a lot of people that lived in this area uh because shotgun houses are small they're they're, they're small and wet you know but they're long like a shotgun and mm-hmm. so you can put many of them in one particular area and you can have a whole lot of people live, you know, live there. Uh, you know, that's how it was when you when you live in a city that is uh, predominantly a steel city. You know, that's what they've done. And a lot of people don't know that the area that is formerly, that's currently known as Memorial Park, used to be a slave plantation. Hmm. You know, and before Birmingham became a steel city, you had a lot of slave quarters that was nearby. And then across the street, you know, on the side street there was was a slave cemetery. And I guarantee you, you go over there, some of the markers are probably still there. Mm. And hadn't you mentioned in your video but the idea that maybe y'all, I don't know if the if it was the neighborhood association or who was talking about maybe building a museum or something? That that was me. That's something I definitely recommend. Yeah. You know, that we that we have a museum uh, so that people can know their prominent history, you know, of Tittlesville. And I also want to point out that uh, Tittlesville is not the only historical neighborhood in District 6. You have Arlington West End as well. Before that area was annexed into Birmingham, uh, that area was actually its own city called Illington. And where the crumbling Illerton School, you know, was, you know, that was where the city center was. Uh, you had all your local government buildings. Mm-hmm. And at that time, up into the 70s, uh, that area was predominantly white. And so in, in, the, in the 60s and 70s, you had a lot of white flight, mm-hmm. you know, when people moved south, you know, and north. And... You have municipalities like Mountain Brook, Homewood, Hoover, Vestavia Hills. These cities was built as a result, you know, of white flight, which is heavily rooted, is heavily rooted in white supremacy. Uh, just to give you a nugget about Arlington West End, you know, there you go. And also, too, uh, for your viewers and listeners is that uh, the Birmingham jail, which is on 6th Avenue South, is the place where Dr. Martin Luther King wrote his famous letter from a Birmingham jail. So yes, there, there is rich history, you know, here in District 6. And I definitely want to preserve that history. I would tell everybody to go to your Facebook page and watch your videos. One of the things that impresses me so much about about you is that you really are out there in the community. You're part of the community and you're listening to people and you you share your thoughts and your ideas. You're very vulnerable also, uh, which I think is admirable in a quote unquote politician. Uh, One of the things I wonder about is how do you get 
you know, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately, uh, and I can't remember which one it was, but they were talking about democracy and the problem in democracy of getting folks involved, right? Not just to run like you're doing, but getting people to vote and to, to care about their communities and to, to be involved. Do you foresee a lot of voter participation in this election? Uh, it's kind of hard to say uh, because what, what, what I'm hearing, you know, is that uh, you have many people that believe that, you know, that all people, you know, that run and get in the office are the same and they're not going to do anything. So what's the use of me voting? Mm-hmm. And so I was talking to someone at one time and I said, do you, do you know why that happens? And he was like, no, why? I said, I'll tell you why it happened. The reason why it happens is because when, you, when a person first runs for office, you know, they're all grassroots and they're all progressive, you know, and, you know, they're excited and therefore change. And then when they get in the office, you know, somebody who is corrupt, you know, gets a hold of them and then they change. The corporations, they're influenced by the special interests. You know, they're influenced by corrupt politicians. And so these folks end up changing. You know, what needs to happen is, is that if if I say that I'm grassroots and I'm progressive, you know, when I'm elected, then I need to continue to be that same person. Yeah. Don't think for a second that when I'm elected that these folks are going to come after me. Because some of them probably are. But if it means selling out my people, especially the people in my district, I would have to say no. Yeah. You know, but the question is, when you get in there, are you going to stay true to who you are before you get elected? You know, or are you going to let the corporation and special interests, you know, get in your head? Who are the, I know at the national level and a state level, you know, corporatism and, and special interests, I, I can kind of name them, right? Who are the special interests and corporate interests in Birmingham politics? So for the most part, uh, places like Mountain Brook pretty much run Birmingham. Uh, you know, they come from various special interest groups that we don't even know. Number two, I always tell people, you know, when, when you're deciding who you're going to vote for as a candidate, check their financial records because their financial records says a lot about them. Mm-hmm. So, so, so let me give you an example. You know, I can say all day long that I'm progressive. I'm grassroots. Yeah, and I'm going to listen to the people and I'm going to fulfill the will of the people. But if you go in my financial records and you find out that I took money from companies like Alabama Power, mm-hmm. Chip, Regions, um, the BJCC Authority. You know, all of these folks are, are, are known, you know, are known for their racist, nepotism, you know, practices and policies. So if I'm on one end, you know, talking progressive, but on the other end, I'm taking money from, you know, from these corporations. What do you think? Oh, this guy ain't for real. He's for the, you know, he's for the corporations. He's for the special interests. Yeah. So again, it is my, it's not what I'm saying, you know, that's going to count. It's what I have done. It's going to count. And the fact that it matters is that they're going to look, you know, at, at what I've done. That means taking money you know, from these corporations, knowing that they are bent on racism and white supremacy. And they're going to start throwing fruits and vegetables at. Right. <laughs> but that's not the case with you. I mean, I, I somewhere on one of your videos, I saw that like one of the few promises you make is that you will. What is it basically that you will keep your word when you get in that that you will you will not be sold out when you get into office? I can't I'm paraphrasing you. We, yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. That can that's a promise that can't be kept. Absolutely. Let me ask you something in the last few minutes that we have. I just want to ask you, I know you probably don't want to talk too much about your personal life, but I do want to, I wonder as a kid, as a young person, as a teenager, as a college student or whatever, were you always into politics? Were you always into like community activism? Not not for an extended period of time. I'm, I'm, I remember when I was in high school, I was, you know, heavily involved in the student government association. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, also in college, I was involved in Student Government Association. And in my freshman year at Alabama State, uh, I was involved in a massive protest, you know, you know there. So that's kind of like my first taste of, you know, of activism. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that I have, you know, experienced and where, you know, we disrupt probably one of the most powerful, uh, you know, college administrations uh, since Texas Southern in the in the mid 60s. Uh, that we was going to, you know, disrupt, you know, their money makers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, such as the, uh, the the great football game, the Magic City Classic, the Gulf Coast Classic. Uh, we was going to, you know you know, disrupt the whole system if we didn't get what we want. And see, those are big money makers, yeah. you know, for ASU. And we was we was going to disrupt that. And so that's when they finally, you know, cave in. And so I tell people all the time, okay, you know, we can march, we can go to these press conferences, we can do all this stuff. That's good. But if you start messing with people's money, when you when you hurt their pockets, then you're going to see some things happen. Yeah. And I think that at this point, that's where we need to go. So as far as this uh, future budgeting, you know, it's concerned, you know, you withhold them dollars, you know, you know, from the city, and I guarantee you, they'll do whatever the people said they're going to do. Um, I want to end with, what is your sort of big vision of both your, your, your place in, the community and in politics and in your district's future. What is that vision? So, um, well, ladies and gentlemen, I bring to you what I call a safe city. So what does a safe city looks like? So when people talk about a safe city, they automatically, you know, you know, assume that we're going to have a law enforcement, you know, that's going to uh, effectively you know, protect people and property. Well, that's part of it. A safe city, you know, also means that a senior citizen does not have to worry whether they're going to have to buy medicine or buy food. It means that that single mother, you know, would be able to, uh, you know, have a job, have a livable wage so that that individual you know, can be a part of that child's education. A safe city means that I can roll down the street and I have something uh, uh, wrong with my tire. A safe city means that I can have a livable wage job to where I can take care of myself and my family so I don't have to be out in the street. A safe city says that I can have resources to fix up my home so the city does not take my home through intimate domain. It means that I can walk down the street and not be harassed, shot, or killed. A safe city means that I can be an immigrant and not be harassed by the police or by ICE. A safe city means that uh, I can be of any sexual orientation or gender and not worry about being harassed. Mm-hmm. That's what a safe city is. And that is my vision for not only District 6, but that's also my vision for Birmingham. Well, Keith Williams, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate you coming on here. Is there anything else you wanted to say that maybe I didn't get to? So if people want to uh, reach me, you can go to my website, www.keithowilliams.com dot info info to learn more about me and my platform and my vision you can hit me up on social media facebook twitter and instagram at ko williams pc ps and paul cs and charlie like the personal computer um, as she probably knows it's jam-packed with information uh, about the issues that i care about and i balance it out with Highlighting the issue or the problem, and then the solu- and then work to find solutions. So you will find that on social media. And if you would like to make a financial contribution, I definitely need donations. 
Uh, there's several ways you can do that. Uh, go to keithowilliams.info uh, slash contribute. That's number one. Number two, I have a cash app for those who have uh, cash app. That's friends of K.O. Williams. Or you can do PayPal. It's paypal.me slash friends of K.O. Williams. So that's how you're able to give. And if for some reason you cannot get on the internet, you can call me directly. My number is area code 205-203-5303. I'd love to hear from that's it, Mr. Williams. I appreciate it so very much. And I wish you all the best in everything that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to uh, sharing this uh, on social media and you know other platforms as well. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for having me. Absolutely. Have a great evening. All right. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks to Where You Are, a podcast created by me, Jimmy Ellenberg, and edited by me using Alitu. You can check out Alitu at alitu.com. The opening and closing song, the theme song for season three is called Sunrise, and that is by Skirk. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast do not represent those of my current, past, or future employers. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day wherever you are.